Section 17 of Monsieur Lecoq, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monsieur Lecoq by Emile Gaborion. Part 1, Section 17. If it is difficult to extort a confession from a man interested in preserving silence and persuaded that no proofs can be produced against him, it is a yet more arduous task to make a woman similarly situated speak the truth. As they say at the Palais de Justice, one might as well try to make the devil confess. The examination of the widow Chupin had been conducted with the greatest possible care by Monsieur Sigmuller, who was as skillful in managing his questions as a tried general in manoeuvring his troops. However, all that he had discovered was that the landlady of the Poivriere was conniving with the murderer. The motive of her connivance was yet unknown, and the murderer's identity still a mystery. Both Monsieur Sigmuller and Lecoq were nevertheless of the opinion that the old hag knew everything. It is almost certain, remarked the magistrate, that she was acquainted with the people who came to her house, with the women, the victims, the murderer, with all of them, in fact. I am positive as regards that Veloge Gustave. I read it in her eyes. I am also convinced that she knows La Chineur, the man upon whom the dying soldier breathed vengeance, the mysterious personage who evidently possesses the key to the enigma. That man must be found. Ah, replied Lecoq, and I will find him even if I have to question every one of the eleven hundred thousand men who constantly walk the streets of Paris. This was promising so much that the magistrate, despite his preoccupation, could not repress a smile. If this old woman would only decide to make a clean breast of it at her next examination, remarked Lecoq. Yes, but she won't. The young detective shook his head despondently. Such was his own opinion. He did not delude himself with false hopes, and he had noticed between Willow Chupin's eyebrows those furrows which, according to physiognomists, indicate a senseless, brutish obstinacy. Women never confess, resumed the magistrate, and even when they seemingly resign themselves to such a cause they are not sincere. They fancy they have discovered some means of misleading their examiner. On the contrary, evidence will crush the most obstinate man. He gives up the struggle and confesses. Now a woman scoffs at evidence. Show her the sun, tell her it's daytime. At once she will close her eyes and say to you, No, it's night. Male prisoners plan and combine different systems of defense according to their social positions. The women, on the contrary, have but one system, no matter what may be their condition in life. They deny everything, persist in their denials even when the proof against them is overwhelming, and then they cry. When I worry the Chopin with disagreeable questions at her next examination, you may be sure 
she will turn her eyes into a fountain of tears. In his impatience, Monsieur Segmuller angrily stamped his foot. He had many weapons in his arsenal, but none strong enough to break a woman's dogged resistance. If I only understood the motive that guides this old hag, he continued, but not a clue. Who can tell me what powerful interest induces her to remain silent? Is it her own cause that she is defending? Is she an accomplice? Is it certain that she did not aid the murderer in planning an ambushcard? Yes, responded Lecoq slowly. Yes, this supposition very naturally presents itself to the mind. But think a moment, sir. Such a theory would prove that the idea we entertained a short time since is altogether false. If the widow Chopin is an accomplice, the murderer is not the person we have supposed him to be, he is simply the man he seems to be. This argument apparently convinced Monsieur Segmuller. What is your opinion? he asked. The young detective had formed his opinion a long while ago. But how could he, a humble police agent, venture to express any decided views when the magistrate hesitated? He understood well enough that his position necessitated extreme reserve. Hence, it was in the most modest tone that he replied, Might not the pretended drunkard have dazzled Mother Chupin's eyes with the prospect of a brilliant reward? Might he not have promised her a considerable sum of money? He paused. Jogin? The smiling clerk had just returned. Behind him stood a private of the Garde de Paris, who remained respectfully on the threshold, his heels in the straight line, his right hand raised to the peak of his chaco, and his elbow on a level with his eyes, in accordance with the regulations. The governor of the depot, said the soldier, sends me to inquire if he is to keep the widow Chupin in solitary confinement. She complains bitterly about it. Monsieur Segmuller reflected for a moment. Certainly, he murmured, as if replying to an objection made by his own conscience. Certainly, it is an undoubted aggravation of suffering. But if I allow this woman to associate with the other prisoners, she will certainly find some opportunity to communicate with parties outside. This must not be. The interests of justice and truth must be considered first. The thought embodied in these last words decided him. Despite her complaints, the prisoner must be kept in solitary confinement until further orders, he said. The soldier allowed his right hand to fall to his side. He carried his right foot three inches behind his left heel and wheeled around. Joguin, the smiling clerk, then closed the door, and, drawing a large envelope from his pocket, handed it to the magistrate. Here is a communication from the governor of the depot, said he. The magistrate broke the seal and read aloud as follows. I feel compelled to advise Monsieur Segmuller to take every precaution with the view of assuring his own safety before proceeding with the examination of the prisoner May. Since his unsuccessful attempt at suicide, this prisoner has been in such a state of excitement that we have been obliged to keep him in a straight waistcoat. 
He did not close his eyes all last night, and the guards who watched him expected every moment that he would become delirious. However, he did not utter a word. When food was offered him this morning, he resolutely rejected it, and I should not be surprised if it were his intention to starve himself to death. I have rarely seen a more determined criminal. I think him capable of any desperate act. Ah, exclaimed the clerk, whose smile had disappeared. If I were in your place, sir, I would only let him in here with an escort of soldiers. What? You, Joge, you, an old clerk, make such a proposition. Can it be that you are frightened? Frightened? No, certainly not, but... Nonsense, interrupted Lecoq, in a tone that betrayed superlative confidence in his own muscles. Am I not here? If Monsieur Segmuller had seated himself at his desk, that article of furniture would naturally have served as a rampart between the prisoner and himself. For purposes of convenience, he usually did place himself behind it, but after Joguet's display of fear, he would have blushed to have taken the slightest measure of self-protection. Accordingly, he went and sat down by the fireplace, as he had done a few moments previously while questioning the widow Chupin, and then ordered his doorkeeper to admit the prisoner alone. He emphasized this word, alone. A moment later, the door was flung open with a violent jerk, and the prisoner entered, or rather precipitated himself, into the room. Joguet turned pale behind his table, and Lecoq advanced a step forward, ready to spring upon the prisoner and pinion him should it be requisite. But when the latter reached the center of the room, he paused and looked around him. Where is the magistrate? he inquired in a hoarse voice. I am the magistrate, replied Monsieur Segmuller. No, the other one. What other one? The one who came to question me last evening. He has met with an accident. Yesterday, after leaving you, he fell down and broke his leg. Oh, and I am to take his place. The prisoner was apparently deaf to the explanation. Excitement had seemingly given way to stupor. His features, hitherto contracted with anger, now relaxed. He grew pale and tottered, as if about to fall. Compose yourself, said the magistrate in a benevolent tone. If you are too weak to remain standing, take a seat. Already, with a powerful effort, the man had recovered his self-possession. A momentary gleam flashed from his eyes. Many thanks for your kindness, he replied, but this is nothing. I felt a slight sensation of dizziness, but it is over now. Is it long since you have eaten anything? I have eaten nothing since that man, and so saying he pointed at Lecoq, brought me some bread and wine at the station-house. Wouldn't you like to take something? No, and yet, if you would be so kind, I should like a glass of water. Will you not have some wine with it? I should prefer pure water. His request was at once complied with. He drained a first glassful at a single draught. The glass was then replenished and he drank again, this time, however, more slowly. One might have supposed that he was drinking in life itself. 
certainly when he laid down the empty glass he seemed quite another man end of section 17 recording by perti hirvonen finland